Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hello, everybody. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. This is a big one. This is a big, big week. Uh, I'm so excited, as you can tell by that quick intro, that the guest I have on today's show is someone that I have been wanting to speak with for some time. Now, one of the gifts of podcasting is that you get to have conversations with amazing, inspiring people. And it's not so much the stuff that you hear in the episodes, because that's great, right? I try and get as much as I can out of the conversations to help you grow and scale your business. But it's what happens in the pre-record and the post-interview that's probably the most fascinating for me anyway, because sometimes I get to speak to the guests for, in some cases, another hour. But in this situation, before we pressed record, I had 30 minutes with this remarkable man. He asked me many, many questions about my business, my mission, what I'm doing. And I got value just out of that conversation, that 30 minutes. So when I actually went into the interview itself, it was well and truly set up. So hopefully you'll see that and certainly hear that today when we get into it. But the person I have coming on is Jay Abraham. Now, Jay Abraham is considered one of the greatest marketing thinkers in the world today, one of the most amazing business coaches ever. And I'll get into that a little bit more in the interview. But he he has done some stuff with businesses that is just, you know, through, you, you, can, you don't sort of see the results that he's achieved in many, many other places. Hence the reason he's so well regarded by so many. What was interesting actually is before, I set this interview up. A few people that I spoke to hadn't heard of Jay Abraham and you know, a quick Google search fixed that. But I think what is worth knowing is that any problem that you have in your business, he has effectively seen and solved in an incredibly granular and detailed way. I think he's got a referral system process which has 93 steps to it. And one of the things that we cover today is a new program of his, which is called Exponential Growth, which is all about the compounding of different things together so that you create certainty around the result you're trying to achieve. So I suppose one of the challenges of interviewing Jay, and you'll see this as we go through the conversation, is that he's done so much. He's helped so many people. He's got so many different things that it's hard to focus. So there's two areas that I really drill into today with Jay. One of them is exponential growth. The other is what he calls the strategy of preeminence. And I don't want to wreck the conversation because he's going to define that for you in a few minutes. But just to say that he started talking about the strategy of preeminence 20, 30 years ago. And the stuff that he was talking about back then is really hitting its strides now. So this guy is well and truly ahead of his time. So listen, I hope you enjoyed this. I had a fascinating conversation. I can see exactly why he's been so successful. There is a lot in this. I suggest that you get the pen, the paper out, get ready to go to class because we are absolutely going to you know, have a, 
a schooling today from, as I said, one of the greatest business minds of our time. So there we have it. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Jay Abraham. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am delighted today because I have someone very special on the show. He is known as the $21.7 billion man. Success Magazine has described him as the greatest marketing mind alive today. Tony Robbins has called him a marketing legend. Forbes Magazine has listed him as one of the top five executive coaches in the country, in the US, with a superpower of turning underperformers into marketing and sales wizards. I'm going to call him business growth and scale up royalty. There's a new one for you. Welcome, Jay Abraham. Thank you, Nick. How nice. We had a wonderful prelude discussion. You're very impressive, man. And I can tell you're doing a lot of good for the entrepreneurs you impact. So have at it. I'm here for you. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. I want to kick off and, you know, I've just given you a, an introduction and, and a lot of people know who you are, but I want to start with just going a little bit deeper if we can. So who is Jay Abraham and, and how did you become so prominent? What was the story behind that? It's quite accidental. There's a movie called The Accidental Tourist, and I'm probably the accidental business growth expert. Uh, I got married at 18. Uh, the first time I've been married a, a couple of times, Nick, I had two kids at 20, no education, the needs of somebody 40, the world didn't care. The only people that would give me uh, not a job, but an opportunity to monetize were crazy entrepreneurs who would give me a phone or a little desk and say, if you make any money, if you open any accounts, if you figure out any revenue streams, you can have a piece of it, kid. And when you only eat, when you earn, you find out very quickly what works and what doesn't and what works best. But because I was never on a salary, I could do 14 things at the same time. So I, I worked in many industries concurrently on performance only. And after about 10 industries, I made a distinction which transformed my life, Nick. I realized that people in one industry don't have a clue how people in another industry think, act, transact. They don't understand the different strategies, business models, marketing approaches, selling approaches, distribution channels, access vehicles, competitive ways of positioning, value creations, uh, reclamation of some cost. And I was able to take approaches that were very frankly very common as dirt in one industry and i became the one-eyed man in the land of the blind i could combine them together and to hybrids take them to industries that had never seen them before and weren't using them and we would just explode first time i did it i did it for entrepreneur man i did it for icy hot which is a profit ripple yep. successful and we went uh, we grew uh 21 in a year we went from no 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 clients to five hundred thousand with no investment. We sold it for sixty million dollars forty years ago. The next one I did was Entrepreneur Magazine, and we grew nine hundred percent in I think eight months. The next one I did went I think fifty thousand percent, and everyone thought I was brilliant, but it was really <laughs> that I just understood stuff no one else did. And then as I started getting a little bit of, of, let's say, distance on all these, I realized all kinds of ways to combine things. And then I was able to evolve distinctions, principles, and what came were the three-way to grow a business model that worked on the geometry of the business. And I learned because I was very fortunate, Nick, uh, 
I was I was attracted to entrepreneurs who were always trying to fill voids or take uh, take market uh, product services and and take them to higher value creation, and that rubbed off through osmosis. But then I got exposed. I did uh, experts who would I helped, but they had to teach me their expertise first. They didn't come to me for help with it, but I had to understand it to be able to monetize it better, uh, revere it better, concretize it better. And so people like Tony taught me how he thinks. Uh, I did the Deming organization, the father of process improvement and variability. I did the world's largest uh, multivariable testing organization. I did Stephen R. Covey. I did Brian <laughs> Tracy. I did uh, the number one company in the world in Six Sigma, the number one company in the world in constraint theory, the number one company in the world in strategic litigation consulting. And believe it or not, you can say something one way in a courtroom and it has this effect, another, it has that effect. And I learned all kinds of things about optionality and variability. And I was able to fortunately take it distill it and, and systematically apply it into a lot of, you know, we got the power of Parthenon, the strategy preeminence, sticking point solutions. We've got a program that's called, uh, 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 oh, geez, what's it called? It's very powerful. It's, uh, it's rules for relevancy. I got, you know, I got some cost marketing. What I'm, he got- what I'm hearing here, Jay, right? And I just want to kind of unpack this a little bit because, you know, first and foremost, we started talking about some amazing numbers and this is a, this is a podcast about growth and scale up. So that's cool. But, but, you know, your ability, and again, get me, correct me if I'm wrong, your ability to take in like, you know, this information and to some extent, um, I'm going to say simplify it, but make it relatable, make it powerful, then make it, you know, achievable and deliverable in these organizations. Right is is that is that that's the superpower here isn't it because that's that's not something that everyone can do yeah i think so i think that what i I, i'm going to say this i have no idea whether i'm bright or not but i do know that my mind is wired in a way that it can experience something it can it can distill out the driving force it can take that force and then and then um and then it can codify what the universal implication is that has direct or indirect implication, application, uh, adaptation to anybody. And then it knows how to combine those into hybrids. One of the things that I noted was today there's this world of best practices, but there's a fallacy in it because the majority of best practices are the best practices from an industry. So really it's the best it's the best linear practices. Okay, I get, I get that. Because I, I mean, you've done this, and this is something I want to bring up. So in your book, which is now 20 years old or thereabouts, right? Is, yeah. the stuff in here, and I still have the people I, I work with and, and people that are in my communities, they still reference this book. So for people who, you know, I'm holding up a book on a podcast and saying, what the hell is it? So it's getting everything you can out of all you've got, What to Do When Times Are Tough by, by Jay Abraham. The stuff in this seems just as relevant now, and we're, we're recording this at the end of 2020, as when you wrote it, as I said, 20 years ago. It, well, I mean, I deal in universal principles that only need to be uh, modified for either market or media, but human nature does not change. Mm, it hasn't. Okay. And I learned, I learned universal principles, and uh, they give you enormous power over I mean, a lot of people today default to a lot of superficial ways of communicating, 
marketing, advertising. And it's if you really try to understand the mind of the market, if you get into the subconscious of the market and you understand how they think, how they feel, uh, if you can gain true empathic understanding by not just studying them externally, but really examining and evaluating and exploring them, it gives you a strength. And then you tie that to immutable principles mm. that just have to be uh, adapted to whether it's Facebook or, or, or a podcast or a webinar. It, it gives you, I mean, I've been very blessed. I mean, I've been able to do this through, you know, seven recessions or crisis. I've been able to do it worldwide. I've been able to do it in, uh, we've done over a thousand industries. If you master it and not just what I, I mean, I've just been able to, I, I'm a, I'm a vessel who's been able to, uh, to, uh, uh, to collect, distill, prioritize, codify, and then, and then um, present in, in, under the guise that you have the ability as an entrepreneur to work on the geometry of your business. We were talking earlier about this new work I'm doing, which is taking your profits beyond exponential. But when you realize how much more is possible, Nick, from time, uh, access to market, uh, advertising, interaction, capital, human capital distribution, uh, uh, intellectual capital, and you start evaluating looking at how much more you can get out of every level. But when you combine lots of these together, it becomes geometric. And then as I told you, and I can explain it if you want, mathematically, there is absolute inarguable proof and, and acknowledgement. You can take performance five gradients above and beyond exponentiality. When you can do that, I believe no business owner should ever operate in what I call the incremental zone. It's the same effort, time, capital, risk, uh, 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 everything or less can have you operating in the exponential zone. Well, let's, I want to play with this concept. I want to start if we can with, with like the, let's call it the, the worst position. So, so there's a business, it's stuck. Okay, it's stuck. And the owner, the entrepreneur has run out of ideas doesn't know what to do next. So let's start there. And then I want to go to exponential because I think there's a, there's a, going to be an interesting point. What, what's, where do you start there? And obviously you probably well, need more context, but you know. Uh, you know no, 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 I just need more memory because we actually <laughs> created a book called the sticking point solutions, but I haven't visited. I get so many things I have to remember. We identified the nine universal ways most businesses get stuck. And we also provocatively said, and it's very possible that you could be successfully stuck because you're accepting a growth rate or a profit level that to you and your industry seems very good or at least acceptable when, when in fact that effort should produce a lot more. But if you, when you're stuck, usually on the revenue side, you're stuck because either you know, you're, you're, you're erratic because you don't have systematic strategic marketing you haven't set up things that bring people in productively. You don't understand the back end. You haven't extended the 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 uh, the revenue uh, potential, the lifetime value, the marginal net worth of a business. You you've got crappy marketing. You're trying to do too much yourself. 
you, you know, you, you are limiting what you're doing to uh, the least yielding uh, default way of marketing. You're not using higher and better yielding and, and accessible things. With regard to being stuck in the other sense, most people don't understand that you have available, Nick, an enormous spectrum of higher performing, safer, faster, and more sustainable, uh, I would call them uh, mechanisms, vehicles, strategies, uh, sources that have always been, will always be, and, and, and have always been. And I can actually, if you want to get a little rogue, I've done about eight interviews in the last couple of months in, in uh, COVID about windows of opportunities that are open, sliding, starting to close, but are available that have never been and won't be available again to entrepreneurs to capitalize on growth. So I can go anywhere you want. Yeah, I know. See, see the challenge of interviewing someone like you, Jay, is there's too much. <laughs> so the it's like the statue of David. We need to chip away here <laughs> and get to. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem because I'm not a. I'm not a. No, but but I, I I've got there's some there's some key tenants I want to get into. So just to build on that last point about being stuck, when you when you work with a business or a business leader. How often is the problem psychology versus strategy, or is it is it always a mix? It, well, it is it is psychology in the beginning because it's 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 really your ideology, your ideology, whatever the word is. If you don't see that there's better alternatives, if you don't see correlations to expertise having a direct impact on your on your bottom line, if you don't see that you alone are not the omnipotent idol, if you don't see that bringing people in who are better than you at what you do and paying, you know, there was a phrase, hire the best and cry only once, bring the people in who can basically elevate you fast. I love that. <laughs> if you don't see that you should only be operating in your own exponential zone, I mean, then that's a mindset. First thing is to crack the mindset. One of the things that, and this is actually fascinating, it's, it's a little ADD, but in the halcyon days when bookstores existed, if you were to walk in a bookstore, Nick, you might go through a massive double, uh, double shelved aisle with psychology, relationships, sexuality. But then when you got to the end, there'd be one little portion of the end that would have business and management. And that's because most business owners don't correlate expertise to basically the implication it can make in elevating performance. They just don't do it. So the few people that do already have advantage, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I see that all the time. I think about the businesses I've got, and we spoke about that before we, we press records. That's come from education. You know, be that people who I who have mentored me or me being curious enough to go out there and seek the the the, the quickest way, the, the a, a, a more precise way to get to where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it's very trite, but you want to be the dumbest person in the room, not the smartest. I love that, yeah. And I, and I often I often try and, you know, I've got myself into some rooms where the first part of that journey feels intimidating, which means I'm in the right room. But yeah. after a while, you you become comfortable and then it's the time to find another room. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but, but in, in what I do, the first thing is you have to be able not to convince, but to expand an entrepreneur, CEO, managing directors, uh, owner, professionals, recognition that with 95% certainty, 
without being critical, there's no way they have come close to maximizing the performance on any gradient of what they do. Uh, you know, targeting their market, attracting their market, converting their market, uh, maximizing the ethical monetization of their market, figuring all the uh, the revenue extensions to multiply the, the 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 lifetime value, figuring how to get their brand more, figuring how to impact more segments of the market, getting their people to perform better. And then all you do is once and if you have convinced them and they get excited instead of frustrated, then you divide and you conquer. You find the easiest ways to progressively uh, enhance performance. Normally, the easiest ways are what I would call you divide and conquer. You put your first effort into uh, maximizing what they are already doing, even if what they are doing is not optimal because it's driving the business. And when you maximize, which, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to maximize everything from their marketing, their media, their, their messaging, their, you know, their conversion process, their monetization process. But when you maximize, you do it to free up more capital that allows you to then multiply with higher performing either alternatives, additions, or replacements. And when you do it correctly, you you excite the entrepreneur because he or she is liberating a lot more yield out of what they're already doing. And so they get excited. But there's a process that's very safe. And then, I mean, but I've got, you know, tons of of alternative ways to uh, to dramatically catapult or hurdle performance without uh, any added investment or risk. Because a lot of a lot of the, I mean, particularly in the last few months, I see lots of entrepreneurs overwhelmed, stressed potentially because of obviously lots of different things going on. You know, as we record this, pandemic is still is still alive and well. And and how do you deal with that overwhelm piece? Because what I find is focus is one of the areas which a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. They don't know where to go next. They're looking at all these different things. So so do you look at metrics first? Do you start to get something ways of identifying where to go? How how does that process work when you advise a company? Well, if I was going into your company, the first thing I would do, we have a 200 question assessment that asks questions that no one's ever asked themselves. And it's designed to look at correlations, implications, anomalies, excuse me, uh, quantifying things. So it tells a story. With that story, it tells, I mean, the data talks, it tells you what to do, what not to do, what to adjust. But then I go through a very logical sequence. You got basically, you, you, you look at what they are doing and then you question the strategy behind it, the business model behind it, the positioning behind it, the media choices behind it, how they're using the media, how they're, you know, you look at everything in a sequence and you systematically examine how those factors are performing and then you alter or you adjust or you fortify or you replace. And there's a hierarchy to it. And each one has leverage. I think I told you that I've lived my life teaching people how to work on the geometry of yeah. the business. Well, the science behind this and the structure of this is what's coming out from this. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it may, and a lot of companies certainly in that we're talking about startup to scale up. The majority of people listening to this are in. I, I sometimes say it's going from a period of chaos, but it's creative. It can be fun. There's lots of energy, to having to work with you know more complexity, more structure, and half the time it's also you've got to have the ability to build teams and lead people. 
because you know startup can be two people in a shed but scale up is is not that and so so for that i mean how, how much do you think the identity of the leader needs to evolve you know from that phase yeah i think uh in, and if you've watched we've done a lot of work on preeminence and a couple of weeks mm. ago we actually made it more concrete and we we identified how to be preeminent we said it's got to be about your entrepreneurship it's got to be about your leadership it's got to be about your mission uh vision it's got to be about your your ability to be preeminent strategically it's got to be about your ability to understand value creation but i think leadership but here's a cute thing leadership is not singular it's not just me or you everybody in the business is a leader or a follower at very dynamically everyone is a student and a teacher all the time mm -hmm. when you realize that you have to be a great leader because you have the the privilege and the moral responsibility to get the most from and for everything and everyone you interact with and that can't happen if you're an abdicator. One of our um, great, great colleagues has a philosophy. He says, Nick, you're either a multiplier or a diminisher as, as, the, as the CEO. You're either constantly growing, not just yourself, but all your people. You're growing your, your value. You're growing their self-confidence. You're growing, growing their ability to contribute. You're growing their their you know collaborative ability or you're constraining it it's about uh, it's about physics you expand or you contract let's let's talk now about um your point at the beginning around um how do you take a business exponential so we've talked a bit there about how do you get out of being stuck and what are some things but let, let's go there let's go to the other end so yeah sure so uh, you asked me before we started this, what new cool things I was working on. And I said, I've actually gotten very excited in the last few months about a methodology that I have evolved over time, but I crystallized it and codified it a couple of months ago. And it's called taking your business profits beyond exponential. And the backstory is pretty simple. Over the course of my very long career, Nick, about every couple of months, I would come up with a new category, not, not, not a, not a technique, but a whole category of, of geometric business growth that started with the three-way to grow business model. Then it was the advanced three-way to grow business model. Then it became the power Parthenon. Then it became the nine drivers of exponential growth. Then it became the 12 strategy pillars. Then it became the strategy pyramids. Oh, no, no. I got the 30 of them. And each one separately, this is what's so cool people don't realize. You have the ability to multiply yield performance outcome 30, 40 different ways on the revenue side and each one separately can be geometric, not all of them together. And what happened was we created all these categories and then within them, we created all these, these, uh, these uh, we call them levers. And the reason is that if you look at your personal life, if you look at the personal life of anyone listening or watching, that life has been magnificently enhanced by fulcrums and levers. Uh, brooms, screwdrivers, cranks for windows, car jacks, uh, uh, pop-top cans, door, <laughs> door buttons. That has made our lives bigger, better, safer, easier, higher performing. And people don't realize you have always had 
the greatest, greatest quiver of levers sitting, waiting to be used more effectively. So we've created five to 25 levers in each of these categories. And we don't expect anyone to use them all. But the point is, every category has the ability to produce a geometric growth by itself. So I have 30 plus categories. And I always wondered, Nick, what is geometry on geometry, but I stupidly never looked it up. I finally did about four months ago, and this is very cool. Mathematically, it is acknowledged a given. You can take performance five dimensions above and beyond exponentiality. Uh, A tetration, uh, a hectation, pentation, octation, can't remember the other tation. But my premise is if you can, and if you look at how numbers, the numbers don't even correlate at those levels, they're just astronomical. But when that's a mathematical given, it's not a maybe, they say, yeah, you absolutely can. Why in the world, knowing that there are so many different ways to do so many different things, and one way is going to be linear, but the same time or less, same effort or less, can be hugely higher performing in the moment and also have monstrous residual benefit attached as well as giving greater brand position. So if those options are available in 30 different ways, you need to master the understanding and then you aren't going to do 30 different ways. And you're certainly not going to do the, you don't need, I mean, listening to you here, I mean, I'm thinking compound compound, you don't need to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) I just want to say, Hey, you got all these ways, and in each of these ways, you've got all these levers, and every lever gives you, I mean, it's literally, I, I've been, the reason I've gotten so much astronomical asymmetric growth, it's not that I'm that brilliant, it's just that I understand the power of, of geometry, and I understand that I can take geometry on geometry. Oh, the, the, power, the power of compound interest, the compound of leverage, you know, I, you know what I'm sitting here thinking, right? I'm thinking when I was doing all my kind of turnarounds in private equity and some of the yeah. stuff that you've talked about, you know, um, I thought, yeah, I've, I've, yeah that, yep, that I remember that I did that. And then you've taken it to another level when I'm sitting there going, man, why did I kind of call you up 10 years ago? <laughs> but, but I think you might, if, if you knew this, you would have, or you would have done it yourself. But no, but it's, I, I, it's, 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 people it's, don't know it and they work so much harder for so much less. Yeah, it's a joke. I mean, I'm joking with it, but you know, what I, what I've, you know, in the, in the short time we've been speaking, I've, I've totally get it. I can see now with absolute clarity why you've had such astounding success across so many different types of businesses, different stages, different industries, different geographies, because that level of precision you know, that you're going to, to get to clarity, to be able to focus on the things that are going to make a difference. The, the amount of options to use your words. Optionality and, and, and understanding probability outcome optionality. For example, uh, and this is hilarious. If we were doing a seminar, I'll give you an exercise to try with your people, anything you do. Sure. I always ask at the seminar, stand up. If you can honestly say that 20% of your business or more comes from referral or word of mouth. And if you have a diverse representation of industries, 50% or more, 5-0 will stand up. Then I say, remain standing. But then I say, only remain standing now if you have in place an absolute, at least one formalized, systematized, continuously adhered to referral generating strategy that you and all your team applies to. 95% sit down, 5% are 
Then I say two, everyone sits down. Well, everyone but one. Then I'll say three, they all sit down. Then I'll say, well, because of our work with a thousand industries, we found 150 different ways that you can generate no cost, no risk, uh, uh, high value, high profit referrals. And then I'll say, but let me ask you, uh, Tony Robbins would say this, uh, a hallucinatory question. I believe that a referral generated buyer buys faster, negotiates less, buys more, buys more often, is far more profitable, is far more enjoyable to deal with, refers other people and costs you nothing. And yet the same people that don't have a referral system are spending money on before COVID trade shows or ads or Facebook. And then I'll say, well, let's look at it pragmatically. An external marketing to a cold audience is the outer peripheral approach to trying to get trust. You've only started the trust conversion process. They're apprehensive trust, uh, maybe trust. Even when you get to committed trust and the first transaction, they're not really there as opposed, and it takes an enormous amount of time, effort, and, and investment, and you haven't really achieved the goal. Whereas with a referral, you, you get absolute trust the moment that they connect. They're soliciting you. But people don't think no. about what's really happening in a transaction. Well, I, I mean, if I think about just to kind of give a bit of insight on, on, on one of my businesses, the core one that we spoke about again before we started recording, 50% of, of the business, if you like, the revenue that's generated comes from the podcast. Yep. And I'll get, I'll get people literally who, who binge listen. You know, I've done 140 odd episodes. I have, I have one person the other day said, listen, I've just gone through, I'm up to episode 80 and he's listened to them sequentially. And, you know, that must be, I don't know how many hours, but, you know, if you it add it all up. But when I get on a call with them, you know, it's not that I'm selling them anything. Half the time, I'm just asking what exactly they need to do, what they want to do, what their problem is. And, and, and they've already made a decision that, that I can help them from listening to all of that going out there. Then I would say, you know, 25% of, of the rest of the business that comes in comes from referral. Yep. And then the final 25% would be some form of, I, mean, I don't want to say traditional marketing, but it's, it's more where we would have advertising or something which is more outbound in approach. Um, but that's, that's the sequence. That's quite different to what I would have done five years ago. But what, yeah, well, what I mean, but now you understand, I'll, I'll have Brian give you our referral program. You'll get a kick out of it. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I love this already. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm forensic about stuff. I love getting into detail when it comes to this. So I'm already geeking out. <laughs> well, let, me, let me challenge you beyond that. So the majority of people will do what everybody else does. They go to the outside market, oftentimes to uh, a broader, not the, uh, as, as rifled as it could be, to try to attract prospects or first-time buyers. Whereas if you step back and you ask, okay, who already has the most trusted, the most credible direct access to the same target market that I want, that is not at all competitive, business, media, influencer, other product service providers who have a sunk cost in their relationship and years invested, who could be an access vehicle a source, a partner for me, it opens up a huge vista. Then if you say, what else do people buy before, during, after, instead of mine? That gives you another mm. scope of access. And I learned from masters how to think that way. And when you think that way, you look at the way most people try to grow and build a business with 
with great sadness because it's so slow and low yielding and linear. Yeah, I, well, I, I get it. And you, I see this all the time. I mean, I, I invest in, in businesses as well. And quite often I, the, I make a choice about what I invest. And by that, I mean, I buy them um, based, based, on the, based on the quality of their marketing. Yes. You know, because I look at it and go, actually, a lot of them haven't even got websites or they haven't got any way of building rapport, trust, you know, building a relationship. So actually, you look at those businesses and you go, actually, there's a big opportunity here to even just start doing that. Yeah, it's well, it's the, the most interesting and ironic insight I've made is that the vast majority of people, when we do a, a private consult or, 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 or a, a profit sharing deal, and I said we have somebody answer a 200 question assessment. A lot of categories they've never asked. One of them is, tell me all you know about, and then there's all these different gradients. Tell me what you know about your competitor. What's their position? What's their advantage? You know, what is their message? Tell me what you know about discussion groups that are talking about the product or competition. Tell me what you know about all the reviews you've looked at. Tell me what you know about alternative means of achieving the same goal. For example, Nick, if you were selling uh, a weight loss supplement, I want I want what you know about everyone else doing that, but I'd also want to know what you know about the people selling portion controlled food and and personal training and equipment because that's all the same market and it gives you a better context of understanding the psyche and the workings of your target audience's mind. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to get kicked unless I ask you some um, audience community questions. And I'm conscious that we're, I, I could talk for you, talk to you for a long time, mate. This is um, a lot of fun, particularly going into, I'd like to go through all of your principles. I'd like to go through the whole thing you said about um, preeminence, critical thinking. We're just not going to get it done. So let me, let me ask you a couple of questions from the community that jumped out today. Cause I think they're, they're they've probably been asked them before, but I think I'd like to hear your perspective. So the first one that came uh, was from Rob um, in my community. He said, What's a timeless principle of marketing that has not changed over time and is likely never to, in your opinion? Um, well, there's, there's two that I think are very powerful. One is, is risk reversal. Uh, and if you think about it, anytime two people uh, come together for any kind of transaction, commercial, uh, fraternal love. One side is always being asked, either knowingly, unknowingly, implicit, explicit, verbal, nonverbal, to take on all, most, more than all the risk in the transaction to the extent that you can identify what those risk factors are, tangible and intangible, and you can preempt them, you can, you can eviscerate them, you can eliminate them, you're going to get make it easier for people to take action. And that can be sampling, that can be consult, that can be qualitative dissemination of progressive um, introductions to what you are. It can be all kind of webinars. But the point is, the more you understand it, the next, which is really not used very much, I'll give you the answer, but it needs a story analogy to appreciate it, which takes about three minutes but it's called preemptive marketing. It's the ability to tell the story of how you operate your business, how you've created your business, the, 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 um, the details of the people behind it, 
the um, the uh, the suppliers, the research, the 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 way the product is engineered to perform in ways that that uh, give your product or service or company or people enormous advantage. And if you have the time, I can tell a quick story that'll make it clearly evident if you don't know I, I i have the time i'm curious if brian's going to tell us that you have to go somewhere else in a minute <laughs> he, can, he can give us a thumbs up in the chat but um I'm, I'm happy to go for a little bit longer if you've got the time it's a classic story and i've used derivatives of it but <clears throat> i'll tell it. it's an old story but it's equally as profitable now so right after prohibition in the united states a huge number of whiskey and and beer companies came into being there were 20 or 30 beer manufacturing breweries in the United States right away. And their marketing was all the same and redundant. Our beer is pure, our beer is pure, our beer is pure. The person who was one of my vicarious mentors, because he was dead when I discovered him, was named Claude Hopkins. Everyone should look up books by C-L-A-U-D-E-H-O-P-K-I-N-S, because he created measurable marketing. But he was the master of the time and they, they retained him. The company I'm talking about was called Pabst Beer. They were number nine in the market and they had no advantage and they needed an advantage. So this guy had a discipline. He'd go out to their facility and evaluate it and, and, and examine and explore it. So he goes out to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which happens to be uh, on one of the Great Lakes. We have seven Great Lakes in the United States. This mm -hmm. is in the early 30s gets out of his car, goes into the, 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 the yard. And the first thing he notices is there's this beautiful, beautiful, huge lake, crystalline blue. And yet Pabst had two 5,000 foot uh, artesian wells sunk five feet off the shoreline. And he was incredulous. And he said, why would you just take that beautiful water out of the lake? And their answer was, that our beer needs water that has a certain mineral compos composition that is not achievable from the lake water. Fascinating. Took him inside and showed him the mother yeast cell that they explained was a result of 1,428 totally expansive experiments to find the perfect embodiment of sweet and tart, of foam and, and not filling and a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful goldenness. That, and everything was made from that. Then they took him into the distillation and vaporization room where they had nine foot thick glass plate walls. And they took that same artesian water and they vaporized it, liquefied it, vaporized it, liquefied it nine different times. And he's totally amazed. He said, well, why are you doing that? And they said, well, even though it, it has the perfect mineral embodiment, it also has some, some uh, uh, components that are not desirable. We have to purge those out and preserve the rest. Then he went to the, I'm almost done. He went to the bottle okay. sterilization room where they sterilized the bottles, not one or two, but eight different ways, twice with 2000 degrees steam, twice with chemical, I remember the rest. Finally, they went to the bottling room. And even though they'd done all those functions, he found that one out of every 10 bats was still thrown out and rejected. So at the end of the tour, this marketing man, Claude Hopkins, who had observed everything, 
said to the owners, why in the world don't you tell the story of how you make your beer? Nobody else <laughs> tells that. And they said, because that's how all beer is made. And he said, but the public does not know that. The first person who tells that story will gain such preemptive dimensionalized advantage and everyone else will look like an also ran. He did that for them. In six months, they elevated from number nine to number one, and they stayed there for four years. Preemptive advertising is so powerful, but most people try to shortcut it. And most copywriters are very veneer-based and superficial. They don't understand the power of that. I had a client one time, Nick, that sold very high-end women's handbags and shoes, but very expensive. And we calculated how many millions of miles they flew every year to go to all the shows and the factories, how many steps they walked up, how many different samples they looked at and rejected, how many imperfect match uh, uh, skins they, 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 they uh, refused to accept on what they bought. And it was the greatest story in the world and it made them stand out, but it was the same thing everybody does. Does that help? It helps massively. You've just explained um, why my podcast has been successful, right? Good. Clearly. And the other thing that kind of occurs to me as you're saying this is, I mean, you you talked about the strategy of preeminence a long time ago, right? You know, probably before it really caught up to where it is now, but you see, I mean, even now people are doing it, I think more, you see it more out there in the world, but you also see a lot of the fakeness as opposed to the authenticity that you just described, the realness. Um, so I can see now back to I me, mean, you've got quite a few different principles, but I love that one. That Out of all of them, that one and critical thinking are the two that I love the most. And, and actually, and, there's, and, and you can take critical thinking to consequential thinking, which is looking more at all the implications that will flow from a decision or a scenario. And I've been very blessed because I've been uh, in, inculcated or, or, or immersed in people who were masterful thinkers and they would always look at optionality, probability and outcome, forks in the road. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that I believe is very important, a lot of people, and I, if I use language that steps on you, I will apologize. A lot of people look for a coach and I've always believed that there's gradients. There's a coach, there's a mentor, there's a masterful thinking partner. And that a coach, Nick, is somebody who asks you, what is it you want to do or achieve? And he or she reverse engineers that for you, which is fine. A mentor is somebody in my mind who's actually been in the world, done that, asked what you want to achieve. He or she knows how many higher, better, faster, safer, yeah. bigger, uh, options are available and they won't allow you to limit yourself. A masterful thinking partner understands all the integrative implication of a mentor, but also the psychology, the, 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 the transitional changes you're going to have to deal with, uh, the skill set you're going to have to evolve, the, the, the ways you're going to have to not become uh, disconnected from your team all kinds of things, how it's going to affect. Yeah. I, I love this because you've just described, I think, because I, I often get the question, you know, because the titles are funny, right? You know, coach, consultant, advisor, trusted friend, whatever it is. I say they're all different tools, right? You know, depending on what's needed, there's a different tool in the toolbox. But I love what you said there about the, the masterful thinking and that sort of support. But I'm conscious 
you know, I, I could talk am to you all I, day. Am I able to talk a little longer, Brian? I don't know. Uh, I've got a timeline. I'm, he, he's, he's let me know how long. <laughs> so keep on going. And I'll, I promise you that I will make sure that I, I adhere to that because I'm grateful for you coming on the show. You asked very, very uh, well-reasoned and, and very enlightened questions. Thank you. So I've got one more from, from the community, from Mark, who kind of comes back to something we said at the beginning of the conversation about, you know, the industries today. So as I said, we record this end of 2020. The question is, if you were going to start a business today, you know, from scratch, you didn't know where you're going to go, what industry, where would you go, Jay? Where would you start? Uh, I personally like service companies because of three things. Uh, you, you, once you get a, uh, a client, theoretically, you have them for either per, forever or for a long period. You have usually high margins, so you have allowably a lot more marketing capability to bring them in. You have them many times in the course of a period, so you have the chance to access them very authentically for other forms of qualitative contribution-based monetization. If they have a, a proven uh, revenue stream that's projectable and predictable, they normally command much higher uh, asset values. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and and you have a lot of realm to add perceived and real value above the generic competitors. And it, it, they, they can be wonderful front-end marketing plays as long as, as the, it's, it's a play, but it's a play that is extending and personifying a real value uh, creation uh, basis that is above and beyond the, the maddening crowd. But I think it's, I like service companies. Yeah, no, I, I do too. And I think right now also the idea of how you can build, you know, trust, you know, between what services provide, not to say that products and technology businesses aren't exciting in what they're doing. I think the connection you can create through service is powerful too. And they're more forgiving on the acquisition side. Yeah. You got a lot more, a lot more wiggle room to invest where you can't do that with certain products that are very mar low margin. Yeah, well, I, exactly. A lot of the um, private equity um, things that I still get involved in, it's it's rolling up services businesses to create bigger groups. And and the way you can synergize and, and create value from that is, is I'd say it's easier. It's just it's just more um, more obvious of how you do it. So I agree with that too. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Nick, once you establish trust, and that trust is predicated on measurable value, whether it's saving, productivity, something that is being realized every minute of every day of every week by the company, introducing complementary or extended types of services is not that hard to do. All you have to do is make the, the analytical and the comparative case for it because you've already you're, 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 you're uh, springboarding it off the trust and the credibility you've already achieved. Yeah, exactly. All right, I've got one final question for you, Jay. So this one, this one's again come from the audience. This one's um, come from Eve, who said, the first time I heard of you, Jay, was on a Tony Robbins interview called Power Talk. And, and her question is, how did that relationship with Tony begin? Uh, it began in, it's just funny, I was asked this very same question on an interview okay. the other day. So it's funny, it's almost, uh, it's almost serendipitous. Uh, so it's a very interesting story. 
I, the last job I ever had for working for someone else was Entrepreneur Magazine. And in, in less than a year, we exploded it. And I became very, very respected in what was then the information marketing business. And that represented people who were doing investment newsletters and, and seminars, real estate, uh, um, uh, business opportunity, and personal development. I helped uh, the top, out of the top ones, I had about 80% as clients back then. And one of them in real estate was a very good friend of Tony Robbins and kept telling him he needed me, he needed me. Tony was just starting to expand his service program offering. He had uh, his TV show, he had his uh, UPW, and he had uh, Date with Destiny, but he was just introducing an aggregate program that was 10 days long called Mastery University. Oh, yeah. And he, had, he hadn't figured out how to monetize. It wasn't doing well. And his president at Tony's request called me to help them figure out how to make Mastery University work. And I was able to figure it out and it did very well. And then Tony wanted me to speak for him at an event he was doing for Mastery. And I, and, and I had not really met him other than on the phone. And I made him a very provocative uh, statement. I said, either I'll be happy to, you can pay me 150000 or I'll pay you 150. Which would you like? And he found that to be <laughs> So he said, okay, well, tell me more. I said, if I'm just going to go to, I don't need to go to Hawaii. I got plenty of places at my own beach house. I said, but I'll go there for 150 grand, or I'll go there for nothing if you give me an interview and if that interview blows your mind, you agree to endorse one of my programs and I'll give you a royalty on it. He agreed, but he made it very clear he would not uh, agree to use that interview in the Power Talk series that he had as a subscription. I didn't care because I knew he was the greatest interviewer if he found meat in somebody and that his interviews could transform somebody's perspective in the market. So I prepared, this is a fascinating story, I prepared a 40-page overview of my belief systems, my methodologies, my ideologies, my uh, techniques, and, and uh, proprietary um, uh, elements up until that point. I've, I've transcended that a lot since then. And I sent it to him, and then I went to the scheduled interview until he was always late. We were supposed to do it at 11. <laughs> It didn't start till three, which is really hard for me because I was all psyched and I had to keep recycling. I've been to his events and they never start on time. <laughs> and I had to have more coffee and I had to go out and pee three more times. But he finally came out at three. We got together. We had our little perfunctory, you know, hellos. And then I was blown away because he, he took out this 40-page document, which I would have been pleased if he read it, but he had notes Nick, on every line of every paragraph of every page. Wow. And I got profoundly <laughs> impressed. And then what happened was, this is, how old are you? Me, 46. You may not remember this, but before digital was existing, there was something called a DAT. And a DAT was, it was somewhat like a mini VHS that they would use for audio recording. Oh, I do remember and this. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, ages ago, got it. So 
we started at three and we ended at three in the morning when we ran out of dads, but we wow. talked for hours. So we're talking hours. 12 hours talking. 12 hours. He, he's, we're just having this dialogue and we're sharing it. And, and at the end of that, we had 12 hours of recording. The editor took two months to distill it down to the two hours that became the power talk. He gave me the use of it. That was the deal. That, and he was very adamant that he wasn't going to promise that it would be one of his, of his, the ones he, he had in this paid service, which I didn't care because <laughs> he only had about 25,000 people in that service. And I was able to mail 2 million copies of this tape. But to my great uh, pleasure, it became very popular and ultimately became part of a collection that he did of the high-performing best ones, the classics with John Wooden uh, and people like that. Yeah. But started just as an exchange uh, in, 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 um, in, um, in a way that he could have me speak for him without pain. Wow, that that story. I mean, because I I I first learned about you properly from engaging in Tony's stuff, and I actually said it as one of my one of my intentions over the next uh, few years is to is to share the stage with Tony and share what I'm doing with business. So I was inspired by you know the people who have gone before me, <laughs> like yourself, Jay. So, and I'll tell you, to his credit, when I started, he was not strong in business. He has evolved, um, expanded and uh, exploded his knowledge. I do every year, and I did it this year as well. He and I do a full day together for his high-end people, his platinum Buttons, partners. Yeah. And, and it's bad, it's funny, it's hilarious because it's tag team like interventions and marketing makeovers and strategy restructuring and opportunity mining. But it's hilarious because here's this seven foot guy wearing black, shirt and shorts and here's this five six guy i think i might be five seven wearing a ten thousand dollar suit and it's just hilarious as can be but i have to wear i i i never when i used to know him i never had to really it was pretty falling off a log because i had knowledge and understanding that was so much more uh elevated than him now i have to work my butt off to stay at perry because the guys evolved so well in his business acuity. That's a great, listen, it's a great story. I remember him saying once that, um, I think he was introducing you on stage, Jay, and he said, you know, get ready. You think I'm full on. The person I'm about to bring on stage is like putting a fire hose in your mouth. <laughs> and yeah. I ha we have to call it, call it an end now because um, I think you've got some other stuff to do. But, you know, I just want to say uh, this has been awesome. Really, I really appreciate your time coming on the show. I know that everyone who listens to this is going to get a lot out of it. We could have gone so much deeper and I'm going to, you know, obviously channel everyone towards the various resources that you have, particularly, particularly what we talked about that exponential growth piece. I think that would be fascinating for people, but. Um, it's, it's really a fabulous methodology. We actually did. This is not trying to hype it. I, whenever I create a new methodology, I don't sell it full out. I do a bunch of beta programs to mm -hmm. try to iterate. So we did the first one and, and it was 13 weeks and we had 60% of the very diverse entrepreneurial participants report massive, massive uh, positive results within the first 10 weeks. So it's, but, but it should be because when you have 30 different goals <laughs> to produce geometric growth with no investment or risk, and if you only do a few and within them, you got 
you know, five or 10 levers, if you do, I mean, the biggest problem with most people, they don't take action. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the thing. You can't say that they haven't got the options. <laughs> and I think, you know, yeah. just to draw a line under that point now, more than ever, when people are looking for options, they're looking for things, you know, then, then something like that, I think is going to be massively helpful, particularly as we go into 2021, there's some optimism and people are really wanting to grow and scale their business again. So Jay, I just want to say on behalf of the audience and, and, and for me personally, it's been an absolute pleasure for you giving up your time. So thank you very, very much for having on Scale Business. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope it had that. And there you have it, Jay Abraham. I really hope you enjoyed that. And, and uh, if you think back now from the intro about an hour or so ago, you can see why there was just so much to cover. He has such a rich level of experience and knowledge having worked with thousands and thousands of businesses over the years. So if you're enjoying this and you're catching every episode, we have an episode that goes out twice a week. So we have 15 minutes to action every Monday and then the longer interviews every Thursday. Then please send me a message about how you're enjoying it. Comment on my posts. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the other social media. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And it really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. And one final thing, we're getting close to the end of 2020. It's been a challenging year for so many people. My mentoring and coaching programs are now open for the new year. So if you want to hit 2021 with some focus, some help, some specialist experience around how to grow and scale your business, then please reach out. We also have our new programs, which have launched, which is the Growth Accelerator Partnership and the Maximize Value Partnership. So if you want to check any of those out as well, have a look at our website, which is suyb.global. That's scale up your business. It's suyb.global. So until next time, as always, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now.